Hello, hello. Hello. And welcome to the New York Mystery Machine. Time to haul before ghosts. You guys, this has been the weirdest week. <laughs> so what had happened was this. We went to record four days ago. Yep. And um, in fact, the day that we dropped the mm. Nikki Klein story. So that bonus exactly. episode came from a session in which we needed to record. Thank we you recorded all. that and then we, yeah. oh yeah. Thank you all for listening to that. Very well listened to the Nikki Klein update. Um, you know, the honorary part four of Nexium. <laughs> um, so thank you for, for, for checking that out. But anyway, so we went to record the next episode. And as we record, I start my intro. It's my episode. I start talking. Yep. And then all of a sudden, Christina says, Adam, we did this one already. And at that point, I realized we're getting to a place <laughs> almost three years in the game where I just kind of forget episodes that Christina did. I mean, it's fair. <laughs> and and vice versa, I think, you know, it turns it's out, easy to remember ones that you spent time. It turns out I wanted to do what I was calling the Easter Sunday murders. But with Christina called triple homicide, the Gideon murders. Because that was back when Adam didn't forbid me from... <laughs> From like Crazy making names. titles that don't. Well, here's the thing. And then I re looked at it though. I was like, oh, no, no, that, that title is actually appropriate. You probably, both titles are acceptable. The Easter Sunday murders is very sensational. It's about murders yep. happen on Easter Sunday. Correct. And the triple homicide works. Right. When I, also the name Gideon. Yeah. When I make fun of Christina's old titles, right. it's because they're just sentences that had nothing to do with the episode. I'm sorry. They usually have everything to do with the episode. You just have to like listen to the episode. Really invest you have to in... listen to the episode as opposed to what titles should do. And that's motivate you to listen to the episode not listen to the episode to motivate you to learn what the title means you know i just feel like so anyway i'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 gonna, I'm gonna move forward so that's what happened so we were so so we're recording this late like this drops on monday and it's saturday <laughs> because i needed to to put together a new episode uh in a few days and so i did so we'll get to that in just a few minutes we did want to talk about the um, wonderful review that came our way. We had an amazing review that came our way across the old desk last week. And um, it was, I think every time you get a new review from all of you, I'm always like, this is the best thing I've ever heard ever. <laughs> um, so next time someone writes something sweet, I'll say the same thing. But when I read this review, I sent it to Christina because it also has one line in it that like made my heart so happy. Mm. And so... I'm going to read it because that's what we do when we get great reviews. Um, this review came to us uh, via Apple Podcasts, sent by Jockey Fa uh, via Apple Podcasts Canada. Canada! And uh, they write this quote. After giving us five stars, of course. Obviously. The stories are compelling, but the hosts are what make the show. Christina is the energy, slinger of sarcasm, and the unpretentious ace while Adam echoes compassion, reason, and joy into their intelligent reflections. Their dialogues seem effortless and so enjoyable that it is as comfortable as a conversation between friends. Yet they tackle some pretty horrid histories. Before our latest journey to NYC, I've encouraged my students to take a listen and find some tales they'd love to investigate once we land. Congratulations on becoming a New York experience we recommend on par with a stroll through Central Park or a slice in every borough. I can't express in words how much I love all of that. All of it. I love that we are 
on par with a walk through Central Park and a slice in every borough. Mm-hmm. That's going to be like the tagline of the show. <laughs> yes. Yes. Listen to us. We're on par with Central Park, motherfucker. <laughs> also, kudos to your kids. Sorry, I'm eating a grape. <laughs> I haven't eaten this morning, you guys. I'm so sorry. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're on air ad. We can't eat a grape into the microphone, but here we are. We've done worse. We've had crunchy things on air. That... Well, I remember we used to do the, the, the toasties. The, and the social teas. The social teas. The social teas, yeah. Oh, God. God, bring those back. The official snack of the New York Mystery Machine. No, our numbers started rising when we stopped eating them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I also appreciate that that I, I this educator, I assume, you know, I appreciate an educator, um, list, makes their kids listen to our show. I know. Um, even though we are silly and use some 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 foul language, <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, in any case, thank you for listening to the show. Yeah. Thank you for your kind words. Tell and us it, what you teach. I would love to know. Yeah, we'd love to I would know just love more. To know. And uh, if if you're someone who also listens to our show, we love to hear from you. Uh, it doesn't have to be as long as that. It could just be a, a sentence or two. But you head on over to iTunes, Apple Podcast, and you drop us five stars, interview, um, and in return, we'll send you some stickers. So if you have sent us a review and we've read it on air, uh, be sure to reach out to us via social media. The best way to do it is to slide into our DMs on Instagram. That's the easiest way yep. that I hear. Or you can email our, our, our Gmail account. Our, our email is nymysterymachine at gmail.com. And the Instagram is at nymysterymachine. Facebook at nymysterymachine. TikTok at nymysterymachine. And Twitter at nymysteries. Odd man out. Um, and we can have nymysterymachine. Um, so yeah, that is a lot of that. And so... Um, we encourage you all to do that, and, and if you want to support the show in a deeper way that is uh, even more than just your beautiful words, you head on over to patreon.com slash Machine for as little as $3. You join our community for as little as $5. You get a bonus episode every month. Or you can head on over to belowthecollar.com slash Machine and buy your very own New York Mystery Machine t-shirt. Have you ever wondered what we would do, and we wouldn't do this, no one would buy it, but if we did do it, a $500 level would be... What it would consist of? Yeah, what would be in that? It would just be... Because $50 is a sandwich. Yeah, you'll just have, like, just, you know, characters from the show saying, like, you know, kids' stories, like, mm-hmm. of the three little bears. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this porridge is a little too hot. <laughs> this porridge is just right. <laughs> this bed is a little too hot. Uh, the, other, the, other day, the other day, Sam texted me, and she was like, Benoit Blanc from Knives Out stole your gimmick. <gasps> He stole your gimmick. Yes. I'm like, I don't know if Olds of the Gentleman, I started that before Night Out was written, sh- but um I like to believe I did. I think I I think you did. And so um so there you go. For five hundred dollars <laughs> Christina and I will just do voices in kids' stories and record them for your entertainment. Yeah. Give give your children nightmares. We have no limits no. To, to the silliness no, that we do. No. And for money, we'll just be real easily. Well, Christine, it's been about eight minutes. You want to start, sh- <laughs> start the show? Yeah, what are we doing today, Adam? <laughs> Sometimes the intros get a little... They we'll get, get a little away from us. get away from us. Like, oh, here we are. And here's the thing. In, in actuality, at this moment in time, it's 10 minutes in. So I'm just saying to myself, Adam, you need to cut two minutes of our banter from this That's fair. Episode. That's legit. Well, today we are... we are. I promised a murder. Murder. And even though my last murder was done already, I, had, I found a new one. Where are you not? So on June 19th, 1909, Mm. the New York Times ran the following article, quote, 
A body, which at 1.24 o'clock this morning was identified of that as Miss Elsie Siegel, daughter of Paul Siegel of 209 Wadsworth Avenue, Washington Heights, son of General Franz Siegel of Civil War fame, was found yesterday afternoon in a trunk on the top floor of 782 8th Avenue in apartments occupied by Chinamen. She had been strangled by a rope, which was found tightly wound around her neck. I quoted that. Yes. Because that's, that's what the New York Times wrote. Yeah. But this article would actually launch a murder investigation full of sensationalism and illuminate the many, many, many deep-seated prejudices yeah. towards Asian immigrants and Asian Americans. Yeah. In fact, so much of this research, you're going to find... Um, I'm going to be using um, the words Chinese American, mm-hmm. Chinese person, Chinese man, or Asian American or Asian man. Um, 99% of the time in the researching of this case, the word Chinaman was used, yeah. um, which, as we know, is an outdated, yeah. um, ill, ill uh, put together word, um, which comes with a lot of loaded slander and loaded. Um, perspective and so um yeah i'm glad that you i'm glad you had that reaction of, of hearing <laughs> can we say this i don't think because we can't can. we can't say i only say it because it's yeah. quoted in the new york times and i believe that's the last time i say it. i may yeah. it may be in another quote but i'm pretty sure that's the last time i will say in this episode because it also makes me uncomfortable yeah <laughs> so let's go back who was elsie siegel well Elsie J. Siegel was the only child of Paul and Ann Siegel, two wealthy New Yorkers who were distinguished among the the higher class of the city. The duo had a mighty influence throughout the city. Elsie's grandfather was a celebrated Civil War hero named Franz Siegel. Franz was a general in the Civil War. He was a German immigrant. He inspired adoring German Americans to sing, quote, I goes to fight mit Siegel meaning I go to fight with with Siegel. Um, When his statue was unveiled in 1907, 100,000 New Yorkers showed up to see it. Is it still there? The Big Apple's Franz Siegel Park still (gasps) memorializes him. Who knew? After the war, Franz became a prominent prominent factor in New York politics because of the high veneration the German citizens had for him. Mm -hmm. He had served as collector of internal revenue, and later as a pension agent. He had four sons, Rudolph, Robert, Franz Jr., and Paul. Rudolph was committed to the insane asylum in Washington in 1904. Robert was convicted of forgery while serving in the pension office under his father, but subsequently was pardoned by President Harrison. And Paul would meet and marry Anne. Mm -hmm. And not before too long, they had a child named Elsie. The Siegel family was a popular and respected family among the community. Paul was wealthy because of of all the work that his father did and later the work that he did. And like many women in society of that era, Anne taught Sunday school at St. Andrew's Church on Fifth Avenue. But this wasn't a typical Sunday school. It actually specifically welcomed Chinese immigrants. So Asian hate is not something new in America. It's something that we've been seeing a shit ton of recently, unfortunately. 
Um, and it's quite really awful to see the, a lot of the patterns that we saw in the early 1900s reemerging here in 2023. Yeah. The hate agents face in the early, early 1900s was actually due mostly in part by the government's fear of Asians. Mm-hmm. Uh, leaders in Washington, leaders in Washington D.C. fear the quote yellow peril mm-hmm. of a U.S. overrun by Asians. So Christian missionaries were sent to evangelize the quote heathen Chinese. God. Chinese Sunday school classes were held in many cities. Young Chinese men viewed them not only as opportunities to network, but also to improve their English Mm -hmm. so they can do better for themselves and their family. I was going to say that, you know, we have a lot of places that offer ESL classes now. Yeah. But I imagine at the time, right, how do you learn English, you know, either through immersion or, I guess, missionary activity? Yeah. So Paul and Anne's daughter, Elsie, volunteers as a missionary at the Chinatown Rescue Settlement and Recreation Room, where she counseled young women who had turned to drugs and prostitution and attempted to spread Christianity to the city's Asian population. Against uh, against Paul's wishes, her father, Anne took Elsie to these Sunday school classes. Elsie and her mother, Anne, traveled to Chinese neighborhoods across the city to do this missionary work at one of these, and one of these places was at a restaurant on Amsterdam Avenue, where she met Leon Ling, who was sometimes uh, referred to as William. So in a lot of these articles, his name is listed as Leon Ling, and sometimes it's William Leon. Okay. Um, so I'm pretty sure I tried my darndest to, um, if it wasn't in a quote, to just keep it as Leon, mm-hmm. just for consistency's sake. And also, I also just... I find it so weird when, like, not weird. I guess I'm saying this weird, and that's probably my own, like, um, you know, experience. Not my experience, my own, like, kind of um, ignorance of when you know people who immigrate to the country mm-hmm. with names that are from their country, um, kind of swap them out for American names. I remember when I, when I was working at um, the Broadway shops in in Times Square, uh, we had a few security guards who mm-hmm. were from Pakistan. Uh, and other other Middle Eastern countries, and they all went by you know these very American names like George mm. and Bob, and we'd ask you know, and they'd say, "Oh, but my real name is so yeah. and so," and it's just so fascinating. Um, yeah. They're like, "What's well, it's easier in America to to, to have it?" Easy I was gonna say, American I imagine name. people and when you put it on a resume, yeah. people will look at William and Bob and and George. Um, differently than they would with someone with a different name, unfortunately. Because people are awful. And racist. (laughs) Leon uh, lived above a chop suey restaurant located at 782 8th Avenue, which his cousin Sung Leon owned and operated. Leon sat with Elsie and her mother at church services, frequently visited their posh Bronx home, and showed them around Chinatown. Elsie was soon sneaking off to see Leon Alone. Ooh. Elsie. What are you doing, girl? (laughs) Now, in 1909, any kind of race mixing was looked down upon, especially in upper society. Yeah. That's race mixing of people of color, Mm -hmm. um, you know, black people, um, people from from the Latin American locales, even Italian immigrants, uh, and certainly Asian immigrants. The upper crust in, in white society really wanted their children to marry people who looked and sounded like them, who who had affluent families like them. Right. So if someone found out that she was running off and seeing Leon, it would have 
uh, it would have been a scandal. I was going to say massive scandal. It would right? have been a massive scandal. Her, her parents would have been uh, ostracized from society. It was pretty huge. But here's the thing. If one boyfriend sounds like a lot in the terms of this, can you imagine you having two boyfriends? Oh. Because Leon wasn't the only flame in Elsie's life. Oh, Elsie. Elsie also was seeing a man named Chu Gain. Uh, maintaining relationships with both men, it wasn't long before Leon became aware of the secret, uh, uh, the secret correspondence that she had with Chu, and shortly thereafter started sending Chu Gain hostile messages, mm. letters that the authorities obtained after Elsie's death. Mm-hmm. Now, on June 9th, nineteen o nine, Elsie disappeared from her father's home at two o nine Wadsworth Avenue. Three days later, Mr. Siegel received a telegram from Washington, D.C., which read the following. I'll be home by end of week. Don't worry, Elsie. From Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. However, Elsie did not come home at the end of the week. She was, in fact, missing. Now, interestingly enough, Elsie wasn't the only person who was missing. On the afternoon of June 19th, 1909, Sun Leung headed to the police station at West 47th Street to inform the officers that he was worried about his cousin, Leon, Mm. who had been missing for six days. Okay. He explained that the door to Leon's room was locked, and after knocking repeatedly, he received no response. He also reported there was a foul odor coming from the apartment as well. Uh Uh-oh. Policeman John Riordan accompanied Sun back to the restaurant home, and that kicked off the investigation. They made their way into the room after breaking in. With the exception of a bed and a trunk bound with rope, which looked like it was being prepared for shipping, the room was vacant. But one thing that was getting even more potent was the stench that seemed to be coming from the trunk. After removing the rope, the officer opened the trunk where he found the body, where he found the almost nude body of a young woman. The body was doubled up and wrapped in a sheet. The woman had evidently been dead at least a week. Around the neck was a light cord similar to those attached to window shades. The body bore no marks of violence. Suspended from a thin gold chain, which was around the girl's neck, was a bangle upon which inscribed the letters E-C-S. After a further search in the room, a bracelet bearing the initials ELS was found. ELS. Elsie Siegel is the name. Right. Um, I don't know what the C was the or, or the C okay. that L stood for, but it's... Sure, it's her. It's hers. The police also then discovered over 30 love letters from Elsie to Leon, some of which sounded quite desperate. A cousin of Leon named Joe stated that Elsie Siegel was William's sweetheart, and that he had seen them together at the theater often. Hmm. A detective was sent to the Siegel residence to notify uh, Elsie's family of the murder. At first, the detective was met with resistance as the family claimed Elsie was simply out of town, despite the fact that she should have arrived home by now. Oh, they're doing the thing that what's-their-faces family did. Remember that other woman, the, one of the heiresses who like disappeared for like four days and was like, no, it's fine, we're not worried at all. Missing. Missing. No, not our daughter. Oh, was that the one? Um, I'm trying to remember. Is it? You drew a map of that one. That was one of those map episodes. It was a map episode. It was a map episode. Did Helen do it? No. It was before that. Arnold. Dorothy Arnold. No. That's... I think it was Helen Jewett. 
I think it was Helen Jude. Anyway. Also, Dorothy Arnold is. We have plenty of missing people cases if you like them. <laughs> Head on over to the, to the backlog. The detective compelled her parents to look at the remains for themselves. And so they headed on down to the uh, restaurant slash home. Paul agreed and uh, behaved quite indifferently when he was shown his daughter's jewelry. Hmm. He also failed to identify Elsie's body. Hmm. The detective requested that Anne look at the remains and received a much different reaction. Anne immediately knew that the remains were that of her daughter. And she also was easily, and she also easily identified her jewelry. Do we know why he didn't? I have no idea. It doesn't ever really come back up why her father, the father, didn't recognize the remains of his daughter or the okay. or the jewelry. Um, look, when someone's like in a trunk or in any sort sure. of case, and you're dead a week, decomposing is happening sure. quickly. But I do find it really interesting that. Anne was able to identify it very quickly. Right. And Paul did. It may have been a matter of denial. Right. Could be. It could be. That's not my daughter because it can't be my daughter. Can't be my daughter. Because she's away and she's Mm going to come back. It could be a lot of that. Captain Carrier of the Homicide Bureau was notified of Elsie's murder and he became the lead investigator on the case. He found Leon and his friend Chong Singh had occupied the apartment and that both men had disappeared at approximately the same time. Mm. Carrier determined that both Leon and Chong were both, quote, Americanized and Christianized by the missionaries. They also spoke English fluently, so they would likely ease into other communities fairly easy. And with that, a hunt began to find the murderer of Elsie. Hmm. And we're going to get to that hunt when we get back from the break. The New York Mystery Machine is brought to you in part by listeners like you. That's right. Head on over to our Patreon, and for as little as $3 a month, you can help keep the pod growing. By joining, you can access a whole bunch of cool stuff, such as mini-episodes, swag, exclusive playlists, and more. Head to www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine to find out more and become a patron. That's www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine and join our ever-growing community today. All right, we are back. And quite a story. Quite a story. Quite a story. Missionary work and women in trunks and Love racism triangles. and plenty of racism. Love triangles. Yep. Um chop suey restaurants. Yep. And people in trunks. And people in trunks. Here's the thing, you guys. Don't put someone in a trunk. <laughs> That's just not how. It's That's, not how you Well, it's so weird because <laughs> when I first started researching the story, the I saw the headline first, Women Found in Trunk. Yeah. And my brain not realizing the year or anything was like, oh, like in the back of a car. That's, right. And then when I started reading, like, oh, a trunk. A trunk, yeah, like a suitcase. Lord. Which also just I I got I got to say I was kind of I thought that she was going to be chopped up. I didn't she's like doubled over, you said. She's doubled over, which I, I mean, which I mean it must be an impressive trunk at that point or suitcase. And that means like basically she's like folded up. Right. Yes, like you know, she's Still, I'm I'm really impressed too. because I don't know. It seems like a small space to squish someone into. Yeah, and I wonder um, 
when she goes in the trunk exactly. We don't. Sure. We'll, we're gonna talk later on 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 speculation on, mm. on all that, but um, gotta be before rigor mortis sets in. Yeah, it has to be when the body is still able to kind of be maneuvered a little bit. Well, <laughs> Captain Carey then released photos of the two missing men and had them published in newspapers all over the United States. The story was heavily covered, and the public was interested in Elsie's murder because of her grandfather's reputation. Oh, right, yeah. Big Civil War uh, general and hero. Now, I mentioned earlier in this episode, we mentioned bri- you know, briefly just now, that this story brought up so much sensationalism that surrounded the case. Mm-hmm. The murder of a young, one, upper-class white woman by a recent Chinese immigrant made headlines all over New York, all over the country. And of course, because it's being reported by newspapers such as the New York Times, that goes internationally. Yeah. It sets off a wave of anti-Asian sentiment. White New Yorkers had already been terrified that Chinese immigrants were going to be luring their children into their opium dens and prostitution rings. And now they, quote unquote, had evidence, which is ridiculous. No one's luring anyone into an opium den. Yeah. Or a prostitution ring. Also, um, if I'm not mistaken, it was like the British who introduced opium to China. So like, yeah, it's white people's fault. Anyway. Again, white people, <laughs> your fault again. Said by two white people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, fault. it is. It really is. We're the worst. The Daily News reported that a quote, infuriated white Americans. A section from the Los Angeles Herald read, quote, the New York police are now threatening to close up missions in Chinatown unless their promoters agree to keep women and girls away from them and employ only missionaries. Who are male, I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah, probably. Okay. Or like, you know, nuns and stuff. Right. Not young women who are right. going to fall in love with right. guys and get On June 19th, Mr. Harvey Kennedy implied at an employment agency located at 38 West 29th Street looking for a cook. He was like, I have a restaurant. Mm-hmm. I need a cook. Find me. Find me a cook. A cook. He finds a man who goes by the name of Ah Sing. The next day, Kennedy, after hiring Ah, sees a picture in the newspaper of Chong Sing, the roommate of mm-hmm. Leon, and soon realized that Chong and Ah were one and the same. Mm. He notified police immediately who confirmed the identity of Chong. They took him into custody. He reluctantly admitted that he was exactly who they thought he was, mm. but he denied ever being implicated in the murder. Okay. He was like, I have nothing to do with that murder. Mm-hmm. I know what you're talking about. I know Leon. I live with Leon, mm-hmm. but I had nothing to do with it. I saw a weird trunk in there one day and I ran. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like I'm out of here. <laughs> like, there's a weird smell coming from this, Mm-mm-mm. and I just left. I know. It, Honestly, it, fair. <laughs> but also, like, more questions than Well, answers. sure, yes. It's like, okay, you had nothing to do with it, then why are you no longer living in the residency of where you were oh, living? Oh, is it because of the, the smell coming from the trunk? Is it because that's, <laughs> is it, is it that the trunk? Did you look in the trunk? What's going on? <laughs> tell what? us more about this trunk. Tell us more about this trunk. Now, something interesting was discovered during the investigation. For several months, Leon lived at the at the Seagulls' house. Oh, when the family lived at uh, five fifty West one hundred and eighty eighth Street. Now, on the evening of June first, nineteen oh nine, just eight days before Elsie's disappearance, Leon called the West one hundred and fifty second Street police station and told Lieutenant McGrath 
that while living in the Siegel's residence, he had loaned Mrs. Siegel $300. Hmm. He also stated that there had been a misunderstanding regarding the debt, and he wanted to go to the house for the sole purpose of getting some of his clothing. He desired an officer to accompany him so that he would not be accused of going to create trouble. Mm. Weird. Very weird. It's a weird thing. Also, what was he doing living in the house to begin with? It doesn't ever... I looked at a bunch of places and I couldn't find any reason why he was... That's interesting. There. That's very interesting. Um, I literally spent a good portion trying to trying yeah. to find like the reason he ended up staying there, and all, the most I got was that he just stayed there for a little bit. It's just interesting. He was friendly with the family. Sure. It's important to note. You know, he literally was at mass on Sundays with 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 right. Mom That's and true. Daughter. Right. Like they had dinners there. They you know early in the story I said that he they had dinners at yeah. the house. Like so he was very That's true. friendly okay. with the family. So maybe it was like this charitable gesture of like sure of course you can stay for a while yeah, while pardon- you sort out whatever. Are they Irish? Uh, they're sort of. I don't know what this accent is. Because they are Maybe American. Maybe it's Welsh. Because they're just American. Well, they now have Welsh accents. <laughs> if that's what the Welsh sound like. I'm sorry, Welsh. <laughs> He's like, I don't, I don't know who, who's saying this. <laughs> <laughs> who in the story is speaking right now? I don't know. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um. Uh, anyway, the officer and, and Leon head on over and they did get his clothes and left the house and mm-hmm. everything was fine. Everything was peaceful. No one accused anyone of anything. Interesting. So now, a few days after the discovery of the body, Mr. Siegel made the following statement. Christina. Oh. Want to read a statement? But, as Mr. Siegel. I know that William Leon and Chugain, who conducts the Port Arthur restaurant, were in love with my daughter and that Leon was insanely jealous. On the evening of June 8th, there was a party at my house during my absence, and several Chinese were present. Leon came to the party drunk. He called Elsie to one side and told her that if she had anything to do with Chugain, he would kill them both. <clears throat> wow. Aggressive. Very aggressive. Leon, calm down. <laughs> There's no need. Kill both? That seems excessive. Kill one at most. <laughs> I mean, also, the um, in so many of the articles, they refer to people from China as Chinese. That's the, 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 Chinese. the Chinese. Which also, please don't do, folks. Don't do. Just, don't. <laughs> it's just weird. It's weird. It's less offensive than Chinaman, I guess. But, yeah, but, but still offensive. Not good. Not good. I don't know why you can't call like a Chinese man. Right. Chinese people. Or Chinese people. Or Chinese person. Don't you're referring to? ethnic monikers fr- as substantive nouns. That's the rule. And that is the more you know. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> When interrogated, Chu Gain stated that Leon had threatened to kill him and Elsie because of the intentions of because of his intentions to her. He furthermore stated that about noon on June 9th, think she goes missing, Chong Sing called on him and stated that Leon would leave the city permanently if furnished with sufficient money for transportation. Believing that he could thus save his life and Elsie's life, Chugain offered Chong Sing $260. All the money in the place and the latter, who appeared to be greatly agitated, accepted the money and the amount and hurried away. So, okay, so June 9th shows up and is like, clearly I'm upset, so you, if you want me out of your lives, give me this money. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and she gets like, yeah, great. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to die. I don't want you to kill me or even deal with this. I don't want you to hurt Elsie. Right. 
So just, yeah, here's $260. Take that money, which Take is it. a lot of money in 1909, I imagine, too. I imagine so. Yeah. All right. Sounds real suspicious. Always does. Chugain was arrested initially, pending further investigation. The police were like, let's get all the people mm. involved in this in this building. Sure. So the search at, for, at that one point was for Leon, mm-hmm. for for Chung, mm-hmm. and for Chugain. So Chu was arrested, and then he's released after okay. giving this testimony. So um, upon being arrested, mm-hmm. police search Chugain's room. Mm-hmm. They find some letters. Okay. So the following letter was evidently written after that party on June 8th, where okay. Leon came in and was like being crazy. Right. And it was found in Chugain's room. Okay. It's dated June 8th, 1909. Mr. Chugain, number seven through nine Mott Street. So, Christina, will you will you read this a letter from Elsie? These are from right. Elsie. Okay. Uh, my dear friend, I don't want you to feel badly because Willie was here tonight. You know that I love you and you only and always will. Don't mind Willie. Although he is nothing to me now, I had to see him last night. I did not send for him. Your ever-loving Elsie. In the room where the murdered girl's body was found, the following letter was also discovered. Once again, by Elsie. This one was to Leon. My dear Willie, I am writing this letter while Mother is away from home. She would not let me if she knew about it. Don't think, Willie, that I will ever give up, give you up. Don't think, Willie, that I will ever give you up. I will always remember the good times we have had together. Please let me know if I can see you soon and how. With love, Elsie. Elsie! You seem like you're playing them both. She's playing both. I mean, yeah. She's, she's, and not to say that she's not in love with both, but she's sure. clearly... Talking out of both sides of her mouth. Telling, yeah, she's clearly talking both sides of her mouth. Now, Chong Singh, the uh, roommate, had made several statements to Captain Carey, giving a little additional information each time. The first was that, quote, about 10.30 on the morning of June 9th, Elsie Siegel called to see Leon for the purpose of reprimanding him for his conduct at the party on the mm. previous evening and to also notify him to not call the house anymore. Mm-hmm. He said, I was downstairs and she went up to the rooms. After a while, I went upstairs, and I went into one of our rooms. I heard a noise in the other room. Mm. The door was slightly ajar, and I looked through and saw Leon and Elsie struggling. I saw blood on her face, Ooh. and I also saw a handkerchief up to her mouth. Ooh. Elsie was thrown on the bed and lay motionless while Leon ripped off her clothing. He then covered her body with bed clothing and went to the closet and pulled out a trunk. I went into the room at this time and felt the girl's hand, and Leon said that she was dead. I said it was dirty work and that I was going away. I gave him $200 of my money mm. and then extorted 260 from Chugain, which I also gave him. I saw him put the body in the trunk. I stayed at my cousin's house after the murder. At the conclusion of the examination of Chang Singh, he was held as a material witness under a $10,000 bail. Mm. It was ascertained that Asian of Leon's description sent the telegram from Washington, D.C. to Mr. Siegel on June 11th. Mm. So that telegram right, that's coming not from Elsie is not Elsie at right. all. It's actually Leon. Police determined that within an hour after the murder, Leon began to make frantic efforts to dispose of the trunk. 
About 1 p.m., he entered the office of the Constitution Express Company located at 717 8th Avenue and engaged driver Arthur Logan to remove the trunk to a laundry at number 370 West 126th Street, where a Chinese man named Hua Qi signed for the trunk and paid the expressage. Hmm. At midnight, Leon engaged Martin Luria, a chauffeur residing at 310 East 4th Street, to convey to him the laundry in the taxi cab. Leon then had two other Chinese men bring the trunk out, and after it was tied to the seat by the driver, Leon instructed Luria to convey him to convey him and the trunk to a Chinese restaurant conducted by Li Sing at 64 Market Street, Newark. They arrived at the restaurant at 1 a.m. Leon asked that the trunk be left there indefinitely, but as Li Sing refused, Leon returned that afternoon with James Halstead, a cabman residing at 18 Plum Street, Newark, and the trunk was returned to the room where the murder was committed and where it remained until opened by the police. Oof. I'm really interested in Chung Sing watching what feels like a lot of the murder without intervening, for the record. Yeah. Like, I'm still stuck on that. And like, also, like, yeah. Watch a bunch of murder happen. Then the murder happened and basically was like, here's some money. Leave me out of this. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy. Kind of crazy. I understand, weirdly understand that a bit more, especially if you're an immigrant to the U.S. Sure. And you don't want to, you know. But it's kind of weird to be like, I'm just going to watch through the crack in the door while this woman gets strangled or whatever. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Yeah, no, that's a that's a very fair assessment. To, you know, just you know, just watching. If you see a woman get strangled, please try to stop it. The more you know. <laughs> Two PSAs today. You know, we do what we can here on the New York Mystery <laughs> Machine. It's not just Tammy Hall for ghosts. It's also Tammy Hall, but for people who need to do better, <laughs> or for ghosts who need to do better, or ghosts who you know. Ghosts are people too. Just ghosts are people too, or were people too? Were people, yeah. Now they're just ghosts. Now they're just ghosts. <laughs> what a weird episode this one is, you guys. <laughs> it was then the theory of Inspector McCafferty that Elsie's clothing was burned in the stove in Leon's room, mm. which is why he was naked in the trunk. Also, I guess that's a panic move, but that's a weird choice too. I guess to not identify her, but he left her jewelry on. Like, it's still just a weird... Yeah. Maybe it wouldn't fit in the trunk. Maybe she was wearing one of those fancy 1909 dresses and it wouldn't fit in the trunk. That's possible. But the Julia Rod is also weird, too. It's a weird choice. Yeah. On September 24th, 1909, the coroner's jury requested... On September 24th, 1909, the coroner's jury rendered the following verdict. Quote, That the said Elsie J. Siegel came to her death on the 9th day of June, 1909, at 782 8th Avenue by asphyxiation... Inflicted at the time and place, aforesaid, at the hands of Leon Lung, alias William, William Leon. Mm. As there was not sufficient evidence produced to justify the holding of Chong Sing, he was released after the verdict was rendered. Which bothers me. Mm-hmm. Because isn't he an accessory? Or Yeah, or, accessory, after, uh, accessory after the fact, right? Isn't that... We're not lawyers. Correct us if we're wrong, but that sounds... I mean, he didn't murder the person. Right. right? He, he witnessed the he murder. He did witness it. But that makes you a witness and not like an accessory. But then once you give money... Right. Aren't you an accessory now? I think so. So I'm very confused. There's a... He, he said... He confessed to doing this. I'm right. confused at why he wasn't held. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm very confused at that, that piece of it. 
yeah, I don't know. And if you're a lawyer with Please. any information, we'd love to actually hear from you. Yeah. And this happens a few times throughout the series. I think we've had a few of these moments where we're like, this is something lawyerly that we don't get. Yeah. What like, is law? Did, did, like, <laughs> did like, was there an error like, did the Justice Department fail that moment? Like, oh, we should have. Mm -hmm. Or is that still not enough evidence to keep someone right. or to arrest someone or to charge someone with anything? Right. Yeah, would love to know. I'd love to know. If you're a lawyer who listens to our show, please, please, please reach out either via our email address. Slide or to our DMs. Slide into our DMs. Because actually, I'm, I'm... I'm genuinely curious. I, yeah. So that's the question. Can you help us? And if you let us know, we'll um, send you a sticker and we'll talk about it. Look at that. Get stickers for stickers information to too. <laughs> I just love our stickers. Like, they're good stickers. So now, wild theories started to fly around, right? Yeah. After all this, because there is one person who was never brought in for anything, and that's Leon. Yeah. He's never found. Um, there are theories that Leon had fled back to China. Okay. There are theories that he and Elsie ran off together, well, and, that, and that the body in the trunk was someone who looked like Elsie, and it was used to throw off suspicion. Oh. Another theory is that Elsie committed suicide, and that the Chinese population had Leon smuggled out of the country to avoid uh, prosecution. Mm. I'm interested in the Elsie and Leon ran off theory because we have her body. But again, unless it's someone who looks like her, which I guess is why maybe the father was like, nope, not my girl. But then the mother was like, yeah, definitely her. It's interesting. I think that's some wishful thinking. I think Elsie's dead. Well, they there are that the, there is a sign of we we think we figure out what does happen to Leon. Okay. In 1910, the Secret Service reported that Leon had been taken to Canada in the days before Elsie's bodies was discovered, mm. and that he eventually made his way to China, where he lived the rest of his life on a farm. Leon was never apprehended, and the murder case is still open. Wow. 113 years later. Wow. One of the longest uh, open cases in America. Crazy. Currently. Yeah. Um. I probably, you know, I think the Secret Service was probably right, and he eventually yeah. got back to China, and he lived his life. Um, I guess you can't just go to China and start remembering him back to America. I don't yeah, know. I think extradition laws at I the time are yeah, probably, I and think, even now, even they're now sort of kinda tricky. Very tricky. Um, wow. That's fascinating. I'm also, I'm just fascinated by, like, the conspiracy aspect of, like, no, they ran off together. Yeah. Which has some appeal to me. I mean, like, I, I kind of would love if that were the case. I mean, I don't know why they murdered another girl to cover it up. <laughs> That's bad. <laughs> but that theory does add up to, like, the dad not yeah. recognizing. But it is sad that they murdered someone else. Right. It's still, there's still a murder, and that's bad. Yeah. Unless they found a body somewhere, like, ah, perfect. No, that doesn't make sense. That don't feel right. That don't feel right. <laughs> I found this body. Do you want? It looks kind of like you. Looks like you. Hey, I got an idea. I got an idea. <laughs> what if we put my jewelry on, huh? Put her in a trunk and leave. That sounds not like a bad idea. Honestly, it's not like a terrible idea. Of all the ideas they could have have, you know, you know, especially if you happen upon a body. If you happen upon a body, you don't have to murder or nothing. Right. Like here's. I mean, it's body. still probably illegal. I think that's still illegal. It's most definitely illegal. You can't take a body <laughs> and like do what you what you will. You can't do that. You have to. Rep if you find a dead body, you got to report it, and that is the more you know. <laughs> that's also, never take legal the, advice from. Adam. I think this is our new T-shirt. It's going to be all the all the all the PSAs that we 
we come across. This could be a list of PSAs. If you come across a dead body, you got to hand it over to the authorities. You can't just use it for your own, for your own good. I'm just going to go back to this episode and just write them all down. Yeah, start writing them down. I'm sure we've had PSAs before. But that is that is the case of Elsie and this 113-year case Crazy. that's still open. Oh, thank you for that, Adam. Yeah. That is a... It was really hard to work through. The, yeah. the racism was so thick. Yeah. Um, and especially now, like, you know, we're, we're still coming off a time where there's a lot of yeah. uh, anti-Asian uh, sentiment yeah. and there's a lot of Asian hate, you mm-hmm. know, we're living, you know, just, I mean, just like six six months ago, there was, you know, six months to a year, there was like this height, this like crazy right? like yeah. build of it. And especially coming off of coronavirus and, and all and- the... Trump and and Trump and yeah. Like, yeah and all these things that people just linked to the Asian population, right. um, just selfishly and incorrectly. Yeah, and so seeing a case like this was really really tough because not not just because it was tough to see mm-hmm. its anti Asian sentiment, but because like we're seeing it again. Right, and I just this is rough. Right, it's never dissipated. It's never gone away. It's never really. Um, yeah. Well, thank you for, for checking out this episode. Um, we invite you, uh, as we said at the beginning of the episode, to um, like, subscribe, and follow on all the places where you listen to podcasts and all the places where you find social media. Um, while you're on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, drop us a review and five stars. We'll read your review on the air. We'll also probably take a screenshot of it and mm-hmm. share it on the old social media. Um, we have an amazing Patreon with with some really cool stuff. We have a new episode coming out, I believe, this week for oh. Patreon, and then uh, we have a really cool one for next month. Yeah, the March episode is coming out a little late. It's coming out obviously in April, and then there'll be a second April episode right. that is for April itself. And the April one's really cool. It's a little unknown story about uh, Dr. King in Harlem. Amazing. And so, um. We'll, we'll have that for you as well. So yeah, Patreon for $5 a month, you get an extra you know episode each and every month and some other cool stuff as well as you go up on the chain. And um, please buy our t-shirts. We love them. We have some new designs coming out for season two. We're really excited about those. And our, so, PSA, uh, our PSA. Our PSA one, maybe one. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thanks so much for, for listening. We um, we really appreciate it. Uh, there's there's a, lot of new, a lot of new listeners coming to the show over the last month or so. So just welcome to the show. We, we hope you have an opportunity to go back to our backlog and maybe listen from episode one and make your way up to where we are now or if your someone likes to go pick and choose that's cool too uh, I've been Adam Mace I've been Christina Marley and thank you so much for taking a ride on the New York Mystery Machine Tammany Hall but for ghosts and people who need to do better <laughs>